Hi, and welcome back to Tell Me What Happened, the podcast that features folks from all walks of life telling us one childhood story and how that story, that experience, has impacted who they are today. I'm your host, Jay Rehack, and like you, I've had my share of childhood experiences, some of them painful, some of them joyous, but I like to think that everything that happened to me has made me a better person. Tell Me What Happened is sponsored by Sidelining Publishing, publishers of quality books, including Susan Salazar's classic, One Little Act of Kindness. Tell Me What Happened is also sponsored by LaughSaver.com. Visit LaughSaver.com and record your laughter. We'll keep it for you now and forever. It's free, and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will appreciate it. That's LaughSaver.com. And by the way, LaughSaver.com is going to be an app starting June 1st, so look for it on your Apple or Android phone. LaughSaver.com All right, today I have as my guest Dr. Philip Neely. Dr. Philip R. Neely Jr. is a 22-year career law enforcement officer having served in progressively responsible leadership and field positions in local enforcement agencies. Additionally, Dr. Neely is currently working in education, instructing, advising, and mentoring adult learners. Welcome to the show, Dr. Philip Neely. Well, thank you, sir. Doctor, are you ready to tell your story? Yes, sir. All right, doctor, I'm going to get out of the way. And at the end, I'm going to ask you just one question. How do you think that experience has impacted who you are as an adult? So take it away, Dr. Neely. All right. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to share my story. I want to come to you today to talk about growing up in family issues and identity crises and how running, running track really took me away from it. So I go early on to tell you about the fact that as a young child, my mother died when I was two raised by a grandmother who was a lot older, who couldn't read or write. All of my uncles and aunts had already been to prison or have criminal records. So it was like you're a product of your environment. You're doomed to fail from the start. Leaders is to say that my father was in prison already and I was just two years old. So my whole goal in the rest of my life was to be something with my life. As I looked at the early on in my childhood, that issue of family crises continued to haunt me as I went about my elementary school days, getting in trouble, fighting in school, being suspended from school, going on and possibly ending up in juvenile once or twice. Didn't do any time, but taking the juvenile hall and my mother had to come get me for fighting, you know, running from the police, things of that nature, getting involved with local gangs in the neighborhood. And so these identity crises, which I found out later was the issue because of the fact that I didn't know who I was. My father was in jail when I was two. He stayed in jail. He, he got out when I was, well, prison. He got out when I was about 16, 17 years old. My mother, my real mother died when I was two. My grandmother raised me and she had 12 other kids. So most of those kids were in and out of county jails, state prisons, or juvenile, juvenile detention centers. So it was like I was struggling with this identity crisis. And when I got about maybe 12, 13 years old, a good friend of mine introduced me to running. 
And I found out that was my lifesaver, being able to run track. It helped me to establish that identity. How did I establish it? It gave me a purpose. I realized I had something more in life to give than to just run the street, fight, and to be a part of gang activity growing up in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia. So we began to run, and I found out I had a career there. And track took me away from being in the streets at night, running out during the daytime, involved with other activities that wasn't really representation of my character, of my parents that was raising me, my grandmother. Going on the run summer track gave me a different viewpoint on life, and I found that I had something. So now I started to change. I started to look at things different, but I was still struggling as my father would come home, stay home about a year and go back to prison again. You know, he came home a couple of times and wanted to try and play dad when he came home with his parents, want to play grandma to me, which I really didn't know them because all I knew was my grandmother coming up. And, you know, with her having a lot of medical issues, me being able to do whatever I wanted to do because I was a young kid and she was a lot older raising me, put me in a bad position. But I must say with her strong upbringing, her roots that she developed and planted in us made me better gave me that sense of identity, gave me that fear that I needed as I went through and got into elementary school and got into middle school where the problem still continued with the fighting, wanted to try to release this anxiety by, by displaying my anger to others. And I didn't realize it until later on in life, that's what it was back then. I just thought it was part of, this is what I was supposed to do. But as I got older, I realized that I was acting out because I didn't understand my life. I didn't understand where I was going. I didn't even know that was a purpose about what I was supposed to do. I could have made any grades I wanted. My grandmother couldn't read or write. My aunts and uncles was in and out of hospital. They was all on drugs, marijuana, cocaine, heroin. Uh, if they wasn't on drugs, they were drunk every week during the day, you know, doing all kinds of things. None of them had really good jobs or anything. None of them graduated from college. Only one or two had gone to high school and finished. The other was all high school dropouts. So it was like I was just spinning. I couldn't find a way to stop spinning and track was continuing to be my guiding point. As I got in high school, I started again and then I began to back up as track began to take over my life. The coach, my best friend Winfrey, who introduced me to track and then my coach who says, this is you. And as early on in high school, I began to win championships, win races. And I found a purpose. I found that this is what I wanted to do. This is going to help me get where I want to be. I never thought about going to college. You know, my whole thing was I probably wouldn't finish high school. I'd been suspended about 12 times from public schools for fighting, being disruptive. As a youth, my childhood was just out of control. I was just lucky that I had did not spend any time in a juvenile detention center, even though I had been taken down twice and released on petitions. Those, those, the two times that I went down was enough to scare me. And I use it as that scare me straight. And so I look at it now and I start to think about it. As I got toward my senior year in high school, track became really prominent in my life. I saw it was going to take me somewhere. My mom told me, don't worry about school, drop out, go in the army, go in the military, which she liked the army. And I thought I would do that just to impress her. My grandmother, I felt I owed her that. But then I started getting all these track scholarships to go to big schools. Well, the problem was I couldn't get into the big schools because I didn't have any grades. I had always felt like it took 315 credit hours to graduate from Atlanta Public Schools. I didn't care if I got an A or a D, I still got five credit hours. So in my mind, 
not knowing, coming from an uneducated family, why strive for an A when I can get a D and still get those five hours and still graduate? That was always my philosophy. But it changed when I took the SAT to get into college and I scored very high. And it, it was just amazing to the scouts, like, how did this kid score so high on the SAT when he don't have any grades? And I explained this to them and they looked at me and laughed, you know, and I laughed too because I didn't know. So I was able to get my grades up and get into a D3 university. I went over to Clark Atlanta University. But this was the, the key guy to get me out of high, high school into college and save me from being put into the system, you know, because I didn't want to be a part of that system, which I felt I was on the road to that pipeline from schools to prison. I felt that's where I were, but this track thing really changed. And then going into college, you know, it changed so much. I began to win championships. I was doing very well. I was mastering in what I wanted to do. You know, I had gone to school for education. I wanted to be a, a physical education teacher. And I'd always said that I wanted to be a police officer. So I was going to graduate and go into the police academy. And then I ended up dropping out my senior year and joining the police department. You know, I said, you know what? School does not matter to me. I want to be a cop. I don't need a degree to be a cop. And so now that changes my mindset when I hear that. Because in the United States, all it takes to be a law enforcement officer is to have a high school diploma or GED. So I said, why go on to college and continue with this when I can just go on to the police department? I did. Had a great career, and then I had a chief to come back and tell me you need to go back and finish your degree. So I went back and finished for promotional status and to badge my career. So when I look at this, it changed my life. So my childhood and this crisis, growing up with identity crisis, not knowing who I was, being led out through running, something a gift that God gave me the ability to run, nothing added, just the ability to run and run fast, really kept me from not only going to jail or prisons, but from being killed. I lost a lot of people on the way, a lot of friends. As I joined the police department, track continued to help me. I accelerated, I was very well, I did very well in it. Uh, I felt like this was the guiding principle that made me wanna do more and wanna do better. So now what I like to do, I go back and I like to talk to the youth about, there is a way out, there is a way to change. Just because you mess up once or twice doesn't mean it's over. I went down the juvenile hall twice. And both times I was lucky I had a grandmother that cared enough about me to come and get me and not leave me in the system. But those two times was enough to change me. Even having identity crisis, growing up with parents that was alcoholics, drug addicts. You know, my grandmother didn't do drugs, but she drunk liquor and beer all day like water. Uh, all of my uncles and aunts, you know, either they was on drugs, or alcoholics, you know, none of them had real careers. And it was strange, you know, I was one of the first to go ahead and graduate from the police academy, get a good job, go back and get a four year college degree. And now able to talk and mentor to other youth about what they can do to change their life. I'm a living testimony that you can change. I'm a living testimony because I came from the projects. Early on, we were living in Perry homes. Then we moved out to Fabron Road into a low-income housing. My mom probably bought a house in Southwest Atlanta, but it was still wasn't a real, like a two, three bedroom house and there was about eight or nine of us in there. You know, so this is where we lived, you know, spent our whole life on food stamps, welfare, depending on the system to survive. So I don't agree with that notion anymore about your product or your environment. I don't believe that. I believe I came from a rough environment, but I made it through that. Not because someone gave me a handout, 
but I felt that those people that reached out to me gave me a hand up. They lifted me up and showed me how I can do better, things that I can do to make myself better, not saying, here go a million dollars, now go do this. You know, even when it came to track, you know, it didn't come easy. I could run. Running was easy to me. But winning was hard because you had to train. You had to drive. You had to get the mindset. And that mindset is what began to carry me through my adult life as I went back and continued my education, continued my training in law enforcement, continued to grow and make myself better. So now when we talk to our youth, I like to tell the youth that you can be better than what you see, what you have shown to be, and what you are doing. You can be better. All you have to do is apply yourself. I'm a living example of it, you know, thinking about where I came from. Even now, I still continue to push myself and to grow and be better. So now as we look at all the gun violence that we're faced with in our streets, my family issue takes me back to say, put down the guns, put down your fists and pick up your mind. The fight is no longer physical. So these young kids, and I told them I was suspended 12 times from Atlanta public schools because I thought fighting was my way out. Made me look tough, made me look bad. Only thing it did was ruin my record. So I had to learn to put down my fists and pick up my mind. The fight can be won spiritually, mentally. And if you can have a good spiritual fight, a good mental fight, you can win without a physical fight. And that's where we are now. So my goals and my accomplishments, from that point, it led me to going back, becoming a police major, I was third in command when I left the police agency after 22 years. And I only left because I had obtained all of my degrees, associate, bachelor's, master's, doctorate degree, several other uh, command school colleges of command schools that I had attended to get command operation skills like uh, St. Leo University Command Officer Management Program, Georgia Law Enforcement Command Officer College, things of that nature. So I felt that at that point I had done all I can do inside my job now is to transition outside and go into training to help others to see and understand the things I've done, how I can make them better, to help them to grow and be better in what they do. So with that, Jay, I said that's my story in a nutshell. I know it's not long, but I want to stay to one issue, and that issue was the family crisis, which overcame by running. That's you know incredible, Doctor. I have to tell you that uh, I'm always impressed when people overcome adversity. And uh, honestly, I am not someone <laughs> who suffered very much or whatever. And the idea that you sort of were short on role models and, uh, you know, had such a tough, uh, you know, family surrounding. I'm sort of astounded, though, still that you were, had the ability, I understand the idea of fighting, because I'd be fighting all the time if I were you. <laughs> Seriously, I, I got into a lot of fights myself as a young guy, and I didn't have half the issue, a tenth of the issues that you had. But I'm still kind of curious. You've already answered the question of how it's impacted your life, but what was that? What was the key moment? I understand it's the fact that you knew how to run or whatever, but was there a, a coach or an individual who said, "Hey, you can do this"? Or, I mean, because running, you can't just be a good runner. You have to, I'm sure, go through training. I mean, you, you know, these guys. You got to, you know, you got to practice all the time. And, you know, what motivated you at that time? Or how did you know, hey, I got to do this? I understand that a couple of times in the juvie, you know, motivated you. But 
was there a coach or somebody individually who pushed you in that regard, or was it just yourself? You just had a little light bulb moment. Yeah, I didn't see it. It was a friend of mine, Winfrey Jordan. He had been running all his life from uh, youth athletics all the way up to high school, and he caught me in the middle of going to high school like that junior year when things were going. I mean, it was my sophomore year, freshman sophomore year when things were just starting to starting to level out, but I was starting to get back in trouble again. And my mom had bought me a motorcycle. And I didn't realize that I, I wasn't supposed to ride that motorcycle on the street because it was a street bike and I didn't have a driver's license. The police got behind us and I took off and ran from it. Long story short, I was caught. They took me down to juvenile again. And that's when the judge said, listen, if you come back down here one more time, I'm going to give you six months in juvenile detention. And when I got home, my best friend, Winfrey Jordan, was sitting on my doorstep. He said, you got too much talent to be doing what you're doing. I said, well, you know, fighting, riding a motorcycle. Yeah, but you know what you're doing is wrong. I said, man, you got too much talent. So yes, that light bulb did go off, but it didn't go off initially. It was Winfrey Jordan that came to me and showed me what was inside of me that I didn't see. You know, I just thought running was a childhood thing. I didn't think it was competitive. I didn't think it was something that would take you to college. I didn't think it was something that would give you fame and glory and help you understand your purpose. But as I went through, it did. It showed me my purpose. It helped me to focus. So now I always think about that saying, when all about you fails, you keep your head about you. Running makes you think. It's a discipline. You, you, you want to fight? You want to release that anger? Run as fast as you can around that track or whatever. You run the 100, 200, or 400. <laughs> and you release that anger as you run it. And when you get there, you stop. And then you get your mind back right. Love so it was it. a condition of the mind. I really appreciate it. Winfrey for that, and I told him that a while back, uh, the last time I seen him. Well, that's beautiful. I'm going to include him in the description of this story because the whole world, I think, actually owes him a little bit of debt of gratitude because thanks to him, you know, you're able to have had a wonderful career and obviously reach out to young people now and everything like that. But, but for a man like that, a young man like that, who was smart enough to see it and good enough, you were smart enough to understand the man things might have come come out differently for you and we, we would have lost you, you know, to a system, like you said. So hats off to him, hats off to you, doctor. I mean, your backstory is a sad one. Your success is incredibly impressive, but also highly motivational to me because I was a school teacher for many. I saw kids who had really tough backgrounds and I saw how hard it is, to, you know, it's easy to throw your hands up and just say, forget it. And you didn't do that. And I do always, I always feel badly for kids who aren't able to do what you did, you know, and I'm not just talking about being a great runner, but I'm talking about the ability to push that aside until your own um, manhood and, and, you know, you were able to do what you had to do, but your story is impressive. And uh, I think, I think one of the things too was, you know, in order to do that, I had to refrain and push back from alcohol and drugs at the time. Yeah. where I was surrounded with it, right? And yeah, that's it how you did that. I wanted. Having a daddy in prison who's saying, everybody's telling me you're going to be just like your daddy, a convict, you're going to end up in prison like your daddy. And I'm trying to show them I'm not going to be like him. That's what turned me to law enforcement. Great story, Doc. And I, I have to tell you, like I said, my listeners, a lot of my listeners are young. And so I think they're going to be motivated and uh, grateful to have heard this particular podcast. So I want to thank you for being on the show telling your story. It's courageous for you to even tell the story. 
but more courageous for you to have lived this life for the last adult 22 years and more. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that's our show. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Philip Neely. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Sidelining Publishing, publishers of quality books, including Susan Saladar's One Little Act of Kindness and LaughSaver.com. LaughSaver.com. So, in honor of Dr. Neely and his ability to stop fighting when that, that is an instinct and instead to turn to running and processing. I'm going to end this show as I often do with Susan Salador's classic, I've Got Peace in My Fingers. So until next time, this is Jay Rehack asking you all to please stay safe out there and try not to hurt anybody. I've got peace, peace, peace in my fingers. Watch what I can do. I've got peace, peace, Peace in my fingers, I'm gonna shake hands with you. I got peace, peace, peace in my fingers, watch what I can do. I got peace, peace, peace in my fingers, I'm gonna shake hands with you. I got words, words, words in my head, watch what I can do. I've got words, words, words in my head. I'm gonna talk things over with you. I've got words, words, words in my head. Watch what I can do. I've got words, words, words in my head. I'm gonna talk things over with you. I've got love, love, love in my heart. Watch what I can do. I've got love, love, love in my heart. I'm gonna give some to you. I've got love, love, love in my heart. Watch what I can do. I've got love, love, love in my heart. I'm gonna give some to you. I've got a peace, peace, peace.